Well, hello everybody and welcome to another first live streamed episode of MotoGP Podcast Last on the Breaks. And we've got our guest from the off today. I'm Fran Wild and Elliot York is joining me on hosting duties with the inimitable Simon Crafar, pit lane reporter, 500 race winner, general racing legend, our favourite Kiwi. I don't think we've forgotten any others who can officially state that on the record. Uh, welcome Simon, thank you very much for joining us. First, easy question, how are you? Oh, tired actually. I drove from Essen home in my car yesterday, non-stop, apart from fuel obviously and uh, toilet stops and uh, I woke up feeling like I had a ha hangover this morning, dehydrated <laughs> and brain fried, but I'm recovering. Coffee. You did, when you first joined the stream to check it earlier, you were drinking your coffee with some lovely sound effects for our enjoyment, uh, but it's, coffee it's always does the trick. Older and uh, more tired than usual. No, you look beautiful as ever. Uh, a true jewel of the sport. Um, <laughs> so we are getting you on this weekend, obviously this weekend, this week, uh, because it is just after the halfway point officially of the 2022 championship. But of course, summer break time. Plenty to look at in terms of what we've seen so far. We talked to you earlier in the season to do a sort of little roundup after the first few races, and we thought we'd get you back again now. And the first talking point, I guess, is the championship standings, which only a week ago looked very different to how they do now. Yes. Um, like I keep repeating, um, <laughs> when finding away. Uh, our sport is cruel and I know I've said it for about four times already but it's how it is you know and it's never going to change um, so you can't count that on someone winning the championship at half distance or well, you know back in Germany even though Pekka had fallen off um, uh, in Germany and you know, Quattararo had such a lead because anything can happen, like happened to Rins at uh, Barcelona, you know, first turn. So there's a lot of points to go. And uh, I think, yeah, anything can happen from here. But uh, what I've got to say, Leish is doing such an amazing job. I'm sure we'll come to that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Peko does another, like last year, you know, storms back the second half of the season. So I think there's still lots to come. I think everyone, um, a lot of people were saying after Peko crashed and Fabio won in Germany, especially like sort of, oh, this is this is sort of done now. But Assen proved that Fabio is human and he does make mistakes sometimes. I think that was his first DNF in like the last 27 races or he's only had one DNF in the last 27 races before that. So it just proves like we all knew anyway, MotoGP can throw up a surprise at any point. And like you say, Simon Leish's comeback was unreal. But we do now have a bit of a swing of momentum in the title chase heading into the summer break. Yeah. Um, well, to go on Fabio's mistake you mentioned first, uh, Leish put it really well. It was interesting that um, I, I saw impatience because of uh, Banyaya getting away at the front. They were you know, marching towards him, pulling him back in. I think Aleish and uh, Fabio both had the edge pace-wise. and But either way, we were going to see a good scrap. You know, it was <laughs> going to turn into something really interesting. So I'm I'm sad that it, that didn't happen. Um, but uh, I think I saw impatience from Fabio. But Aleish put it another way in that 
Elish was on form there and doing that turn five faster than the opposition. And he thinks Fabio misjudged so badly because of Elish's speed there. He thought Fabio thought he could whip in front, you know, and um, where Elish was damn fast there, faster than the other guys that that uh, Fabio would have passed there. And I've got to agree in that Elish was so fast because. He was, I mean, he surprised me all season, but that's the first race he's been faster than everyone, which is, I, I've got to say, I didn't expect. He said his bike was um, fantastic. He put it, he said it about three times that the bike was just wonderful, especially through the, the far, last fast left. He was carrying more speed than everyone. And he says that's why he could get so close for the chicane overtake because he could carry so much speed through that last fast left. And, um, but the bike can't take all the credit. Alicia's really doing the job and he's amazed me all year, but that one was awesome because he was, like I said, faster than everyone. It really was, wasn't it? And I think, I mean, we were talking earlier, me and Elliot, about how to phrase this without it kind of coming off a little bit offensive because convincing is not quite the right word because Alicia's performances all year have been more than convincing. They've been absolutely incredible. He's one of the race winners so far. He's had some of the longest podium streaks of anyone on the grid, obviously been second, third in the standings for the majority of the season as well. But it was something extra that was that didn't speak of someone who's not used to fighting for a championship or not used to the pressure, like he said in his little Instagram debrief that he did in Spanish. Like it is taking a toll, not in a bad way, but it is a new experience for him being in this position physically, mentally and really staying in this fight. But that was some performance to sign off with before summer, wasn't it? Well, I think um, we're all so surprised at Elish this year because, you know, it, well, until last year, it was kind of good part, best part of 10 years with no podium, you know. And, yeah, some of those years were on very average bikes, you know. Uh, you're talking back to the CRT days and uh, but then there was a Suzuki and then, uh, you know what I'm saying, then the Aprilia and the Aprilia wasn't fantastic in the beginning. Um, but it feels like... Um, at the same time as Aprilia have stepped up, so has Aleish. And it's wonderful to see, you know, uh, both, uh, you know, it would be sad if Aprilia stepped up and we were still going like, oh, imagine if there was someone, one of the top boys on it. But we don't have to say that. Aleish is one of the top boys, you know, <laughs> and he's proving it. And uh, big respect also from the other riders. So um, I'm I'm really happy because that group of Aprilia engineers and mechanics are really nice. I, I love catching up with them. My Thursday morning uh, MSMA interviews, you know, with the crew chiefs, I always get to, they make me a coffee and uh, really good. Um, it's really nice. And there's no wall like you see in some of the manufacturers, you know, where, oh, it's Simon, journalist, you, you know what I mean? It's none of that. <laughs> they tell you really honestly straight about things. And um, it's so nice that to see them um, all celebrating on Sunday. I think um, 
it speaks volumes that Aleish has already beaten his best ever season in Grand Prix racing by 25 points. I think it was forward Yamaha in 2014 where he got his best points tally and he's already beaten that by 25 points. And of course, on the other side of the garage, Maverick got his first podium of the season. And I think Germany, we saw, he probably, in my opinion, would have been on the podium if it weren't for the a mechanical issue he had with the rear right eye device. I don't know if you agree, Simon, but he certainly looked like he had the pace. And then, of course, we all know how good he is at Assen. Um, and he stood on the podium, which was, was great to see, wasn't it? Yes. Um, like I said, the bike is there. And then one thing I'd like to throw in is that, how do I put it? I'll just put it straight. Um, that some of the teams and team managers rule a little bit more with a big stick and pressure, you know, and then you see uh, Aprilia obviously don't. They're like uh, the total opposite, you know, the higher. Uh, my saying is always that the best team managers are teams, team managers that I've worked with in the past, and I got to ride for all four, like factory machines for all four Japanese manufacturers. Um, I, I raced a race or two for Ducati and then um, tested for Aprilia, a promoter. So I got to see all the manufacturers and, and a lot of different teams because not always, always the manufacturer that is the team you're riding for. But what I'd like to say is the best team managers that I worked with um, always did the same thing and that is hire the best people they can and don't interfere, support because Everyone, if you're at that level, has their own way of working and that's what they're used to. And if they're getting told what to do or how to do something, it is, you know, it can be offensive. And not just that, it, some people, it can destroy them. You know what I mean? Meaning mm. um, they have their way of doing it. Like, for example, if you take a guy who's a rider, say we're talking about now who works a certain way and then try to change them and go oh no you need to do this you need to train like that and you did you can do the head in you know and <laughs> what i'm seeing at aprilia is unbelievable loyalty which is really nice and not always common um and then uh, like standing by their guys so like they were beyond loyal with ianoni i think and then uh, everyone was surprised when Aprilia re-signed Maverick and it's starting to look like that they're going to get what they want out of Maverick, you know what I mean? By doing what I'm saying, you know, not ruling with a big stick and pushing because I think that will break him, you know. They're, come on, Mav, you know, what do you need help? And um, I hope they get that last step because I still think there's one more step for Mav to, to get everything out of yeah. it. If they yeah. do, I'll be really pleased to see it. Well, yeah, it is interesting what you said about that one more step because obviously at Yamaha a little bit earlier before the last couple of seasons, he was, if everything was right for Maverick, I was going to say in my opinion, but also on the timesheets, when everything was right, he was the fastest rider in the world. Like just new lap record, pole position, goodbye, um, first to the flag, kind of Lorenzo style, but in a, in a different way. Um, so it's interesting and hopefully we will get to see that, but that obviously he seems like that kind of rider that needs that and i really love it in the paddock when you see people find their right people to bring the best out of them because some people do respond perfectly to that kind of attitude of like you know zero kind of 
emotional anything and just getting the job done ticking boxes scheduling everything that kind of environment some people respond to something completely different and it's great when you get that match that really works and that'll see hopefully the best of him like come back again um and speaking of that i'm going to do the least smooth segue ever the vr46 guys the mooney racing team new team they obviously are not quite a new team in some ways because all they're, they're taking on a new challenge in MotoGP for the first time this year, but they're all pretty tight-knit. There's a lot of guys who've known each other a long time, worked together before, trained together, etc. That seems to already be showing, doesn't it? And that Marco Bezzecchi podium, that ride, it was only half a second behind Pecco by the line. Did that impress you as well, Simon? Again, that was a really convincing performance. Yeah, uh, Bez has impressed me the whole year. Um, I remember reporting with Jack Appleyard from Indonesia when it's only the second um, test of the season. You know, we went to Malaysia a couple of days and then on to Indonesia and he did his first ever race run and he, like, really impressed me because it was brutal conditions and uh, he started off ahead of Marini. Marini caught and passed him, and he stuck on the back of Luca. And I was like, wow, you know, for a guy that has no experience, he's handling this really well. And obviously he had a lot to learn. And now he's learning more and more as the season goes on. But he also, to me, look, I haven't worked with him, but to me he feels like he has this also massive natural ability uh, on the bike, but also... Uh, making the right decisions on the bike um, because you couldn't do what I saw him do right from day one without that. And I'm not taking away um, any work ethic that I think he's got as well. He's bound to have, uh, but he feels like a real natural guy. And I think we're going to see lots more from him. So yeah, super impressed about the team. Uh, you're dead right. When you look in there, they might be new to MotoGP, but they're all <laughs> experienced crew uh, you know, a lot of years in the paddock from different, you know, different classes. I think we all love okay. Bez, don't we? Because he's a proper character, Ita Italian character. Like, he just looks cool, doesn't he? The hair obviously reminds people of um, Marco Simoncelli and everyone loved Marco. Slash. Yeah, yeah. P also proper little rock star. <laughs> um, and like you say, Simon, he's just been super, super impressive. And I think Magello was the first time everyone sort of realised how impressive Marco has been this year. Because obviously, coming into MotoGP nowadays, as we've seen with the likes of Remy and Raul, who dominated Moto Two last year, it's really, really not easy to come in, get good results for a start, let alone finish what less than half second behind. Francesco Bagnaia so yeah Bezecchi's been unbelievable and Marini's also shown in the team that he's he's been good this year but to say that Marco Bezecchi's ahead of Luca Marini in the championship at the halfway stage we wouldn't have thought would have been saying that no um to I've got to jump in and say I don't think it's fair to um compare uh Remy and Raul like yeah KTM are having a tough time and you know, and then on the other side, the 21 Ducati was the best bike of last year and it's as good as anything out there right now. And uh, that, sorry, so to just, base... if you're saying it's the best bike of last year and still as good right now, does that make it the best bike ever? 
kind of by definition. <laughs> well, it's only really the Aprilia that's moved up to kind of match it, maybe beat it in some areas, but Ooh. not yet engine-wise. Um, I think the yeah the Aprilia is probably stronger than it in some areas, but not yet engine-wise. So, but as an overall package, uh, it's still probably the safe bet if you were to be a rider to you know choose a bike to go fight a championship for and they have a lot of information on it so they know what to tell the riders if the riders have a problem with this they'll go well the last couple of years this and this fixed it you know what i'm saying really good information behind the scenes so it's not the same at tech 3 ktm right now as it is you know riding that so so but i'm not taking anything away from Bez, like mm-hmm. I said, he's he's been super impressive. Um, and you mentioned Luca. Oh, sorry, something else impressive that I've mentioned a couple of times before is the Italian, the young Italian guys really regularly impress me how rounded they are. They can deal with, you know, me. They can deal with kids. <laughs> they can deal with old, really old people, not just uh, my age, you know. And, and uh, they're they're so polished, you know, and it's probably something to do with the VR46 thing and maybe their culture or whatever. But Bez is so impressive. He's super laid back, but also, you know, all those VR46 boys really impressed me. Um, and then finishing on Luca, uh, yeah, to repeat, like I've said in some of the commentary and that, he, he we've all known that he's a slow burner, you know, and that's nothing offensive. It's like some guys click and they're, they're just natural and way they go others step by step by step by step but, but the team managers love to see those steps and that he's learning and figuring out and first three races luca was pretty lost on the 22 bike and to be fair to him it wasn't the same as the 21 and um all the guys on the 22 bike meaning him uh and the the pramac guys struggled with it the factory guys did in testing and then they changed it a little bit towards the 21 bike so he struggled a bit at the beginning of the season Th- about three races in i saw the bike stop changing all over the place and then find a base setting that he liked and then it hasn't changed too much from there and he's and he's growing in confidence and it was we didn't see the best of him at Assen because he broke his wing you know uh the collision with joan Mir off the line broke one of the side pod wings off and he said it was like damn unstable um for the rest of the race so he was battling a bit crippled you know so i think we haven't seen the best of luca yet either yeah and i know luca's one of those people as well you i think it was you saying that he's his ability to explain the bike is sort of there's like him dovey and casey stoner who are the ones where it's like, so what's actually happening here? And you get basically like a, the perfect technical explanation of how it feels, <laughs> why, and everything else. So it's definitely two different approaches to being, well, many different approaches, but Lucas always throughout his career seems to have worked in that way, putting little bits together and making that progress. So for sure, yeah, at Aston, obviously, like you say, he did have that little collision off the start line where they both went for the same bit of tarmac. But the the other Ducatis, like you said, it's been a kind of up and down year, quite an interesting one. We've obviously got the big question of who's going to replace Jack now that we know it's not going to be Jack and he's off to KTM. It looked like Bastianini's hat was maybe furthest into the ring for some time. Then Martin, 
then Zarco first got floated more <laughs> by the rest of the paddock rather than by Ducati on Thursday. And then he came 13th, and it seems like they're all trying to do their best and not end up as Peko's teammate. No, I joke, but it's a difficult decision, isn't it, for Ducati management? Because, again, Zarco 13th, obviously, that's a really difficult race after such an incredible run. Him and Martin both struggled there, but Bezeki and Pecco were away at the front. It seems like it's a Ducati thing sometimes where they've won the constructors now a couple of times, but that's based on the top finishing motorcycle, not the factory team and not one rider. And again, what what's the reason, do you think, for that kind of change between one week to the next? Ooh, that's a tough one, friend. Um, Sorry. I mean, I, <laughs> I mentioned, no, no, I mentioned, no, no, I don't mind it. Um, I mentioned earlier in the year that, uh, and it didn't go down very well, but that um, they've got the bike to win the championship do they have the rider? It's arguable. And I'm not saying when you look at those eight Ducati riders that there isn't a championship-winning guy in the future. That's definitely not true. There's there's probably three or four that I think will win a championship, you know, or fight for the title. Um, but uh, right now, they're, most of them are quite inexperienced, you know, and they're just figuring out that level I don't, I don't think it's fair to to bet on uh Inea and jorge uh, martin in their second year you know i fully expected them to have some bumps in the road you know which they have uh, um peco the beginning of the season was disappointing wasn't it you know we were hoping he'd hit the ground running and he lost confidence testing and uh changing his bike all the time and front end actually jorge had that in the in the middle of the you know the first quarter he had a few races like that exactly the same thing front end changes and got lost uh, I think he's back Jorge um, the thing is that what's happening right now in Ducati I have to be brutally honest and say I don't really agree with that the management told me and everyone else like the press. Um, so the riders as well, that uh, Anaya and Jorge, it kind of goes on your results whether you get the <laughs> rides, you know. Uh, riders put, nobody's more, what's the word, critical uh, of a rider than himself, you know. And they do not want to be beaten by uh, anyone, but especially anyone on the same bike, you know. That's as bad as having a teammate beat you. It fully shows you up. Then to say, so they've already got this pressure on them, this second year MotoGP riders, and then to say, um, you know, it's up to you guys, whoever does best, I think, oof, uh, it's only me personally, you don't have to agree, but that's a that's another couple of bricks in the backpack that could uh, <laughs> make the difference for, for someone getting hurt or taking a risk that they wouldn't normally, or you know what I'm saying? So that's only my personal thought, but... Um, Ducati fully deserve to win a championship. They really do, you know. Like the bike has been, like I said, best one last year, equal to best this year for sure. Hopefully they keep, hopefully the Prelia keeps making steps to help Alessia, you know, so they're, they're, they're bang on the, um, as good as each other. But, yeah, just to round up, uh, this year it just kind of proves that they haven't got 
someone who is as finished a product as Fabio Hendelash. I was going to ask Sai, you might have been in this situation before as well. How much pressure does it add when a rider doesn't necessarily know where they're riding next year? I mean, in the case of Anea and Jorge, they know they're going to be in a factory Ducati. Um, obviously, they both want to be riding the red one because naturally, as a MotoGP rider, you want to be in a factory team. How much pressure do you think they have been under? Because we've obviously seen with Anea, especially in the last few races, since his Le Mans victory, he's not really been the same sort of rider or maybe that's just the tracks I don't know but how much pressure does that add um Anaya's had a little bit of bad luck in that his crew chief got COVID as we know and we was at mm. Barcelona he missed that one no it was Germany Germany and uh like I said they second year riders first two years you fully expect riders to go up and down a little you know they'll get they'll turn up to a race and click one weekend you yeah, the bike is really close and they're away and they know the track or like it. And then other ones that turn up there and like FP1, and, oh, the bike doesn't work, it feels terrible. Maybe they're doing something wrong. It's That's how it is, you know, and they gather all this info and you see the third year, if they're the real deal, which I think they are, both of them, it all kind of smooths out a bit. They've made all the mistakes, they've learned from them and you see better, you know, finished product, like, uh, like I was saying. So... Uh, I think it was going to happen anyway about the, you know, Jorge's dip and back because yeah. he got lost on a setup. He got injured. Uh, no, then, then he had the carpal tunnel, you know, he had the operation, now an infection. Like, so, Anaya, he was amazing. He's already won three races, right? And then yeah. he's had yeah, a couple yeah, of right. rough ones. I fully expect him to be back. You know, it's just kind of, I think, without making excuses for him, that's kind of how it happens the first couple of years, you know. Thanks, I think. Um, oh, sorry, my mic was off there. That makes sense, I think. <laughs> uh, it's also pretty much the pattern that Peko followed uh, until he really got in his groove, isn't it? Uh, a couple of years, just like under the radar a bit, and then boom, hello, I am finished, and I am here to win MotoGP <laughs> races. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it uh, seems to be certainly borne out by him. Um, so we'll do another not so smooth segue to the man who's sixth overall, who's been leapfrogged and just pushed out of that top five by Pekka now, Brad Binder, um, really just doing illegally great things uh, in 2022. Um, obviously lost out in that final uh, chicane move from Aleish on Sunday, but I think what he's had one crash this year, he had one crash last year. And that's pretty incredible considering he's making up five to ten places every single race day, picking his way through, making seemingly zero or very close to zero mistakes. What do you make of what Brad's putting together at the moment on the KTM? <laughs> I think nothing short of awesome. Uh, and to have, well, to battle like he does on a Sunday, like you're saying, and make up crazy amount of positions and not fall off, um, yeah, the He's a proper title contender, isn't he? You know, like if KTM can make that last step, I really think he is. Um, I There's probably, like if I was brutally honest, there's probably a couple of guys that when the bike is right will go even faster, you know what I mean? Make that extra, extra level. But I haven't, 
I don't think I've seen anyone ride like Brad on a Sunday from a not good start position on, you know, I don't know if KTM will agree with me, but a, a bike that is not yet finished. I don't, I don't think it's the finished product. We're talking about riders being the finished product. I don't think the KTM is. They're, they're missing a couple of things. But Brad forces it to do stuff that you just don't expect. And it's damn amazing, you know. And um, also about Brad, he's a good sport, you know. I loved that quote from him. I listened to the debrief when, uh, you know, he was trying to get Jack and Jack ran a bit wide into the last chicane. Everyone must have seen the replay. And uh, Aleish on form, so confident. He said carrying that extra speed route through the fast left so he could be close, forced it through. And uh, a journalist said, oh, was that a bit rough? And he goes, <laughs> you saw the quotes. <laughs> he he had nothing but admiration for, for Aleish for pulling that off. Like, <laughs> impressive. I was already on the limit, you know. So, uh, yeah, Brad is, uh, you can't help but love Brad, you know, what he does on Sunday. So I, I sure do. I mean, we all love Brad, what he does on Sunday. I'm just going to read out his last six starting positions compared to his finished positions. So he's gone from 15th to 10th, 18th to 8th, 16th to 7th, 15th to 8th, 15th to 7th. And then obviously in Aston last weekend, 10th to 5th. I mean, it may it might have been 4th if it wasn't for Aleish steamed up the inside. But it just goes to show just how incredible he is. And we spoke to Francesco Guidotti on the last podcast. And he was saying the race pace is pretty much there, as we can see from Brad's performances. And Miguel also shows good race pace. It's just the missing, what, maybe a couple of attempts, maybe a little bit more in qualifying. And in this day and age, a couple of attempts is massive in MotoGP. So I think you are right, Simon. It's definitely not the finished article of a bike. Um, and Guidotti did say that they've got something new to try, I think, at Silverstone. So that should be interesting to see. So I'll be honest, I don't fully agree with them, meaning that the race pace is there. It's just qualifying. Sure, it's qualifying, but I think it's both. You know, like, so if the bike's not quite the finished product and they work, it affects both things. It's just... Uh, really obvious in qualifying when the guys are trying to squeeze everything out and race pace it's less obvious obvious but it's still a tenth or two that makes a difference between fighting for the podium and not like so I don't fully that's only me sorry uh, Francisco but I don't fully agree <laughs> I think it'll affect both things a, a lot and uh, just to go back to clarify what I was saying before in case I um well, I'm bound to have offended uh, some Brad Binder fans because I'm one of them. Um, about, you know, I haven't seen Brad. I've, I, you know, you regularly see Brad do amazing things, and that's why I'm a fan. You know, he yeah. always squeezes everything out of what he's got, and which is the writer's job. You know, he's doing his job completely, which you can't say about every writer. You know. Um, the thing is, when his teammate is much more sensitive and I think can force uh, the bike that's not quite the finished article to do something special on Sunday, less than Brad can, you know. But when things are right, I think that Oliveira is awesome. You know, he can do something extremely special and 
run away from everyone, you know, which I haven't seen Brad do yet, except in um, that one in Bruno, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, different circumstances, you know, the lack of grip thing and whatever. I don't want to go too far off track and drag you on too long, but what I'll, <laughs> I'm not saying Brad can't do it. It's just that we haven't seen it yet, you know, but to be fair, he has, I don't think he's had the product to show it yet. But all I'm saying is I fully expect uh, him to do it in the future when everything's right, but also Oliveira to get on the Aprilia, maybe, and if he does, to win, you know, because yeah. that bike's good, he'll he'll turn up somewhere and win and literally run away, and you'll go like, that's the Oliveira I was talking about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you can definitely see. It's like the Casey Stoner just kind of effect isn't it with brad binder it seems a similar thing where it's like okay once you sat on the bike on sunday doesn't matter the the goal is whatever you have underneath you you get it as far up the finishing order as you possibly can ring absolutely everything out of it and then go back and explain what didn't work uh whereas there seem a few riders who aren't quite as capable of doing that as brad binder is Obviously, Fabio seems to be doing a similar thing this season. Once the lights go out, it's like, right, mission is finish as high up as possible. But it's certainly, I don't know, it's always an interesting thing for me, all these little psychological things of how riders approach things so differently sometimes, but get such similar excellence in the results. Um, but another segue then, we've, we've uh, done some uh, Brad Binder fan club and Miguel Oliveira fan clubbing. Uh, let's move on to some Honda chat. Um, because uh, obviously we'll we'll go to Yamaha as well, Suzuki briefly, but Honda, it's a very tough year now that they don't have Mark, and it speaks to Mark's incredible ability to just be Mark Marquez, that he had his arm 30% out of rotation and was still leading that that bike home it's unbelievable stuff um obviously i think they published today an update from him that sounds positive he's taking it steady and getting ready for another x-ray in a little while to see how it's going but honda we had a, a question in the chat from alvlu 88 does honda have to build a completely new bike for 2023 to be competitive again now, from our side, obviously, we've been hearing from most of the guys and certainly Stefan Bradle, the last time I spoke to him, was saying the basis of the bike has potential, but there's so much to figure out how it fits together the best it can to get more out of it. What are your thoughts on the on the new Honda? Um, is it? I mean, it's been a massive failure, really, hasn't it? You know, uh, when they turned up in Qatar... Um, then originally, you know, the tests went really well. Uh, Mark said something really interesting. He says, I warned the guys that the tests, that you have so much good Michelin rubber down that you can't, that you never have in race weekends, you know, because you're talking about three days going around around the same Michelin tires going around around on track. And he says, you can't judge that and that's experience speaking isn't it you know he's done it all before made those mistakes and um then you've we've got to races and it didn't have the rear grip they thought it had you know it doesn't turn uh they haven't got front feel and front feel is a big thing you know uh there's not many riders that can apart from maybe casey stoner i don't know 
any riders off the top of my head, any that can ride a bike with a massive lack of front feel and warning, you know, when it's going to go. Um, but there's, yeah, they're, they're, they're in trouble, you know, and it's sad to see like a, a giant like them, you know, and, uh, I think it's really hard to judge all their riders because of it. You know, I don't think we've seen, for example, the potential Alex Marquez, and now we should, you know, on the Grassini um, Ducati, we'll, we'll really see. He'll have a bit of time to settle in, and we're going to see some good rides from him. And, you know, I, I, yeah, fully expect him to see him at some stage on the podium again, you know, and uh, like he did at Aragon, on when the Honda worked and like it does at Aragon, the old one, you know, the, the 2000, was it 20 or 19, 20 bike. 20, anyway. 20, yeah. Uh, yeah. 20 bike. So I think it's sad to see Honda, do they need to change the way they even work? <laughs> because right now uh, it's not working again and again and again. And they're really insular. This is just for the fans, but it's true. They're so insular where the other teams in the paddock kind of communicate a bit and and uh, a little bit more open. Where Honda is just there's a big wall around, like it's like the staff are scared to speak to people, you know. And that's all right if you're by far the best, but I don't think it works when you're not. You know, how do you get back? You've got to figure out some other stuff, and the more brains, the better, you know. And some talking to other people makes uh, some. Sometimes some click, you realize that, oh, yeah, that, that could be, you know what I'm saying. I don't know the answer how they're going to fix it, but uh, what they're doing to fix it, it's not working right now. So, yeah, a bit of a, yeah, I feel sorry for them, you know, especially the riders, especially the riders, because it's ruining their short career. And you only got a short time in MotoGP and they have none of them have been able to show their potential. Hopefully they can next year. And uh, also, hopefully, Mark and whoever Mark's teammate is and the LCR riders, uh, whoever they are, uh, mm-hmm. can we can see some proper results from Honda again. I hope they can figure it out. I love all yes. of the disclaimers in what you're saying there. <laughs> whoever they are. Um, can I ask a controversial question, Elliot, before I pass back to you? Yep, Does it matter if Mark comes back as full Mark? <laughs> Have we lost Simon? It's frozen. Yeah, I think he's. Oh, I you, know you he's... said Elliot. <laughs> I thought you were asking. Oh, Elliot. sorry. We were like, has he frozen? Is it digital? You really or look no? frozen. There. No, no. <laughs> I thought um... you were asking Elliot because so, you said Elliot. <laughs> sorry. Was, oh, you Mark. So, oh, so um... still. Yeah, controversial <laughs> question for you. Dear Mr. Crowfar, gotcha. does it okay, matter sorry, if they have more? I mean, obviously, eventually, I know I've used this example twice already. Casey Stoner at Ducati, essentially, seven, eight, nine, you're going down, down, down. It didn't really matter in terms of being able to still compete at the front. But obviously, it does matter over that time period because eventually that rider's like, uh, you're not giving me what I need here. And then obviously there's incentive to look elsewhere. But if you do have, if Mark comes back at 100% Mark, possibly the greatest of all time, is it 
I mean, what do you think of that whole situation? Because it's a weird one, isn't it? When they're trying to build a bike for everyone, but they've got an ace card like no other in the back pocket if he's able to recover. Oh, um, first of all, uh, for the listeners who are interested, I listened to Mark's debrief on Sunday uh, afternoon. He did it Sunday after the race before he went off and had this operation. And I was, again, driving from Barcelona Airport this time in my beat-up old diesel Merc, and listening to his debrief that he gave. And um, Mark sometimes is not really straight, you know, because he, for whatever reason, politically or technically, they have to, you know, not tell us everything. But this one was really from the heart. And I was like, I was tired, but I was blubbering in the car listening because... I thought, God, I can so relate to that. His, he was explaining how his life quality was gone, you know, because he he'd go into a race and he had to manage his energy and pain. Then he'd get back on Monday, couldn't train. You have to do it. And he loves to train, loves to ride bikes all the time. And it was just kind of managing this, sorry, wrong one, managing this arm all the time and painkillers. And, and I'm like, God, I really relate to that because of my back. You know, I broke it some years ago and, and uh, he couldn't really ride to his potential and that he would only do in another, a short period of time before he quit if, he, if it carried on like that. And to how important it was for him to go and do. And if they succeed, which, I mean, let's face it, he is one determined beep, you know. <laughs> and I... I think if they get it right, he's going to come back and all the boys are going to be worried because he's a weapon, isn't he? You know, he, he really, really is. So um, I don't love him all the time because uh, he can be difficult. <laughs> but, but man, I love to watch him ride and I love what he can do on the bike. And uh, so he's gone he said he was i'm only going with what he said he he said he was had faith in that these guys could do it because that's what they told him he they were like don't know let's see yes we that is really wrong we think we can fix it so if they do i fully expect him to be fighting for the championship next year and he's done it this early in time to test the bike at the end of the season, do pre-season and come out and go, <laughs> I really, that's what I expect. I, I I agree. I mean, like you say, Sai, he's done the operation now. Forget this season. It's it's done for him. Now it's focusing on getting ready for 2023. And like you say, I mean, we saw it in 2021, didn't we? When he came back, he was still able to win races and get on the podium. So if it is fully fixed or 90% fixed as fixed as it can be then I fully expect um, Mark to be back my question is another let's say controversial topic it's regarding Yamaha being a very similar situation now to what Honda were when Mark was fully fit in that only Fabio Quattrara is able to extract I'm going to say everything from the bike. It pretty much is everything, although it's largely down to how Fabio rides it. The same with Mark and Honda. So how do you see Yamaha's situation in relation to what Honda went through with Mark as well, with only their star man being able to extract the full performance from the bike? That's a really good one and not an easy one. Um, I think 
that Fabio is is brilliant. He's riding the bike so well. That's how I see it. Um, he's squeezing. Uh, look, the bike is, everyone else says, has a lack of grip off the turn, acceleration. The, on top of that, the engine is slower than the opposition. And so Fabio has to make it up in areas where, uh, you know, not those areas, meaning entry, he's really good on the brakes. He's really good front feel. I mean, the other riders are like gobsmack what he can do uh, front feel wise. Like I was saying, the front feel is so important to a rider. They can, without it, you're in trouble, you know, but he's got an extra uh, level of it. And uh, it's also why I think he doesn't fall off so often because he's got that feel front end wise. Um, and he can carry the extra speed and use the acceleration a little bit less, you know. So meaning if you slow down a bit more, you need to accelerate harder. And the Yamaha can't do that. But for two reasons, it's spinning up and the, the engine's slower when it does hook up, you know. So Fabio's masking their weakness, you know. That's how I see it. And uh, the other thing is you've got Franco. Uh, Frankie is, you guys are going to agree with me. He's lovable, isn't he? He's such a good fella. And it, I know this sounds dramatic, but breaks my heart to see him going through what, he is at the moment because I did it when I changed tires, you know, went from everyone going, oh, you know, to <laughs> we don't want you anymore, you know. So, uh, and to see him turn up to the debriefs every night like we do and just go through the same thing, like, you know, it's not nice. So we got Franco going through this really low confidence thing, I think, you know, and lack of that extra feel that Fabio's got. Then you've got Dovi who... Um, is a legend, isn't he? Did had so many years at the battling for the championship with Mark, but on a completely different bike. And when I'll make this short, but basically when Michelin turned up with that 2020 tire, I think it was a new one in 2020, and Dovi and uh, Petrucci couldn't change. To you had to use a different bike setup, ride it differently, and they couldn't change. And so they went. Off you go, old boys. We get the new young boys in here that that can adapt and can ride it. And this is putting it really simply, not you know exactly how it happened. But then you've got a this older guy who is more set in his ways, then trying to adapt to Yamaha against all these young fellas. So you've got Dovi, who's not in uh, his peak, you know, and uh, not being able to adapt to there's nothing against Dovi, it happens to every older rider. That's what happened to me. You can't adapt with something new that comes with tires with me as well. And uh, so then you've got Darren Binder, who I don't care what anyone says, he's doing a great job from a guy coming from Moto 3. And uh, we've seen a couple of like starry rides from him and a couple of real difficult ones, which happens in your first couple of years, especially if you come from Moto 3, let's be fair. And uh, I think he deserves another shot at it. It's just not enough seats, is there? So whether he does or not. Anyway, so all you've got really right now is one superstar on a Yamaha, you know, to be fair to Yamaha. And plus they have some weaknesses they need to fix. I did a feature into with Davizio Zoe in Assen. It will be on the website, I think, before Silverstone. 
and he went through everything that he has done already this season, just about why Fabio is so good and why him and Franco, despite having completely opposite riding styles, are still meeting at the same sort of point where they're just as quick as each other, but they're, what, a good second off Fabio naturally. And I also asked him about his battles with Mark, and he says it's really nice when people remember how good he was because like you say si, it's very easy to forget sometimes for example Franco finished second in the 2020 World Championship he's not just lost his ability to ride a motorcycle he's just as good if not maybe better because he had more experience obviously than he was same with Andrea Vizioso he's not just a, a bad rider it's just sometimes it doesn't work out on a bike and the guys can't get it to work and obviously Fabio his running style can, but Andrea was really, he said it, he's obviously having a tough year, gets asked the same questions every weekend, you're not expecting anything, but it's nice to remember the battles he had with Mark, and for a few years, he was the only one to really challenge Mark, wasn't he? So You're meaning Dovi there? Yes, yeah, Dovi, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, but like I said, it's a short career, this one, you know, and uh, I feel sorry for the guys because it happened to me. So I know what it, that something changes. Basically, to explain what I'm saying is, uh, young guys turn up and they just adapt and soak up, mm-hmm. you know. And and like Bez is doing at the moment, just jumps on, and goes, and Martin and and Anaya, you know, they and they adapt to the bike, you know. And sure, you try to help them, but they adapt to the bike, adapt to the tires. All the young guys can do that. Me when I was young, Dovi when I was young. You, you could then you learn how to do things and you make uh, habits or you know ways of doing stuff that you get set on because it works. Same as Valentino, he was ultimate at figuring it out. Uh, he went old, he went longer and so older, and still adapting than I've ever seen. But most guys, it's early thirties, they stop being able to adapt as much. And I think that's all you're seeing um, with Dovi. You know, the sad thing is the technology doesn't stay the same. So they eventually get caught out by something and then they can't adapt to it. But on Franco, Franco, um, he is one of the few riders in the paddock that has proved to have consistent excellence, you know, and, and uh, was it 20? 20, yeah, 20. Yeah. Consistent excellence. That's why he finished second in the championship. He was wonderful that year, and uh, it's sad to see all of that. Not it's just not working. So, mm. I mean, uh, yeah. Short of trying another motorcycle, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. You know, out of this position. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we come to a conclusion of like, well. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think it seems from the outside, from little things that I've heard, I'm not completely on top of every debrief every week like you guys are. Uh, But certainly a couple of times I've seen him, it seems to be just the team working together. Uh, And it certainly seems from the outside, like one really big thing missing is Ramon Forcada, who he worked with when he was winning those races. And Forcada's the only... He's the guy who also was Lorenzo's crew chief, obviously. 
I don't know if it's just not gelling or how they're doing that. Again, like you were saying about management techniques, behind the scenes, is there a stick? Is it all about support? Certainly publicly, there's been nothing like, oh, Franco needs to do this, Franco needs to do that. They seem to be behind him. But what what can they do now to make that change? Because obviously they're not going to be like, oh, here's a different mark of motorcycle. Friend, I don't think it's fair to compare what Franco was doing to now because everything's moved on, you know. Um, That's fair. The Yamaha, the Yamaha, not a lot, which I think is part of the problem, but Fabio's masking that, you know. And then if you... I mean, I'm not saying the Yamaha's not good. I really believe it's good. It's just got a couple of weaknesses that in this level of competition is very hard to cover, make up it's for. Funny. You know, and... Sorry, with our delay, this is going to be a little bit messy. It is always funny when talking about any MotoGP bike where it's like, oh, it's not objectively good or it's objectively great, bad, whatever. They're still the best motorcycles in <laughs> the world. Full stop. <laughs> Yeah. So what I'm saying is everything has moved on since Franco was in 20, 2020 when Franco was, uh, you know, winning. He was awesome. Um, but I think everything, when I mean, you look at the lap times now, the, the race, overall race times, it's just awesome. Everyone's going faster. And like Aprilia is the only one really who's made massive step forwards in that time. They had to, but they really have, you know. Um Ducati's made little steps forward. Uh, Suzuki, little steps forward. You know, their engine's better. They've got the device. But um, I think uh, Honda, KTM, and Yamaha have got left behind a little bit, you know? Like, in that, they've stood still too much from that period to now everyone else. And it's I think that's part of the problem for Franco. They go. Everyone's going fast. If he did the same times on, it's almost the same bike. It's not competitive anymore. That's uh, that's what I think. Yeah, it's sad to see. I think, like you say, Sai, we all agree. Frankie's such a nice guy, and we know how talented he is, and know how quick he can be. So hopefully, next year or this year, even he can find find a step to make him. Um, challenge for podiums again. I want to talk about Suzuki quickly, Sai, um, because obviously they've had a very unexpectedly tough year in more reasons than one, of course, the factory announcing uh, that they'll be leaving at the end of the year. Livio Super, there's not been like an official statement, has there, but Livio Super and Aston confirmed that, yeah, it's absolutely uh, done and dusted. We're not coming back next year. How much do you think that has affected Joan and Alex's um, performance on track? Obviously, the bike hasn't quite been there. Um, I think pre-season was very promising. They'd found that extra top speed, and I think we we're all thinking, okay, here we go. Like if they can match Ducati and the likes on top speed and still keep their um, Yamaha-esque advantage in the corners, then they've got a proper weapon. But it's not quite... Um, come to fruition like that so how do you see Suzuki's season so far and obviously their the last half of the season um so far it's been disappointing hasn't it Suzuki yeah. Alex no way I think Alex is riding the best he ever has uh, Alex Rins um hats off to him I think he's just really unlucky about that turn one thing with, yeah. with Tucker uh apart from that you know, that, that's got to have affected him in the last two races, turning up there with a, a risk that's not 
completely right and you really need your wrist on a on a on a bike so don't count alex in this uh, equation because i think he's doing really well this year and fully deserves to be on the grid next year um juan's year has been really disappointing and as i think everyone knows i'm a big juan mere fan because he is so clever uh, as well he puts he's one of the, i mean it's why he won the world championship making the right de- decisions and uh consistency uh, not falling off getting at home really clever decisions like that when the front tire overheating thing first became a problem well, it was that year and you could see him roll off and cool it off and have another go and i was like wow this kid is clever you know he's had a really disappointing year and you might be right part of it affected by the everything's going on because we've never seen him in this position before it's always been really settled um it has to affect you a bit same with alex but the big one i think has affected juan's performance first part of the year is suzuki did change the bike and not just the good things engine wise that we saw better acceleration and better uh, with the right height device more acceleration uh just to talk about the tech side one more the top speeds that we're seeing i've thought a lot about that because i saw fastest at Magello, and it's not the fastest engine so I think they've got their arrow really good, you know, whatever. It's also, since the device, and the device, when it lowers, a uh, few manufacturers have told me that, when it lowers, the rider has a better chance of hiding from the wind. So you make a bigger difference arrow-wise when you use it, you know, the rider's more protected. Basically, the rough calculation I got told, 96, was... Uh, bottom of a Coke can, or beer can sounds better, um, <laughs> takes a horsepower to push at 200 kilometers an hour. So every little bit of elbow and every shoulder that you can get in, the faster the bike is. And I think the Suzuki is working really good aero-wise with that device. And since it's turned up anyway, their top speed has gone boing, but their acceler- acceleration is only a little bit better, you know, meaning engine-wise is now it's enough to stay with the others. So that's what I think. Um, doesn't mean it's uh, 100% right, but that's that's my feelings. Um, so the, I got off track with the tech stuff, but Juan's season has been really affected by Suzuki have changed something weight-wise because I can see them trying to find it, and it's affected Alex less. Um, and if you look at their riding styles, Alex sits right forward, you know. He's... Uh, right up against the tank, you know, his head's right by the handlebars off the side. Juan sits back further. When he first turned up to MotoGP, they were making uh, tank stuff to hold him back and seat and foot pegs and hand, but he's back a bit. And then I think they've changed the weight distribution on this year's bike, and uh, they're still trying to make Juan happy because they've, you know what I mean? So to me, it's they've moved it back. And it's too much because it's all this. The reason I come to this um, conclusion is it's putting all Juan's debriefs that I listen to together with what they're doing on the bike. And uh, the, another piece of the puzzle is things like he can't get the maximum out of out of a soft tire because I think they've got so much weight on the rear that they've already got loads of grip and he's pushing the front. He put more grip in the back. He just pushes the front more <laughs> instead of going faster, you know? So if people that aren't interested in the tech side, sorry I got off track, but I think Juan Mir is awesome. 
he's quite possibly affected by this change and uh, also he has definitely been affected by the change Suzuki have made this year but uh, I fully expect him to be all settled in the old Juan Mir back at some stage but hats off to Alex and uh, real sad to lose Suzuki because in my opinion it's the most beautiful bike to stand next to you know hmm. all the lines and how it's all put together and it's not things bolted on although it's just beautiful I think a lot of people well. will certainly agree with that. Yeah, um, yeah, it really is, and it will be a massive shame. We're all very sad about that. But um, right, well, that brings us to the end of our debriefing. We have a couple of questions from the chat. If we can ask you, Simon, we'll leave the big, big, big one for the end. That <laughs> hint for what that is. <laughs> Me and you have already talked about it this morning. Uh, but the uh, quicker one first. Do you think that Davizioso regrets not choosing Aprilia? That's from Countac309. <laughs> I like that one. You, he'd have to, wouldn't he? Like, For yeah. Sure. For I sure. mean, he he didn't uh, have obviously didn't have the faith in them for some reason, you know. Uh, and oh my god, spam. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sorry, my phone's phone's ringing again. It's some spam, you know, trying to sell you something. Or anyway, um, so <laughs> Dovi has to regret because what could have been, you know, mm. and because it's not working it on the Yamaha. So he, that's the only answer I can give because it, there's a chance it could have been better, you know, because it's not working on the Yamaha. But yeah. I don't know why he made that decision. And um, Aleish did kind of let it slip that Dovi's times on the Aprilia weren't close to his. <laughs> so maybe it was not going to work out on either. But I think, left yeah, it slip. Uh, you'd have to agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he probably does. I mean, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? The Aprilia Dovi roads obviously wasn't as good as you pretty they've got now, obviously, but now Dovi riding for the Yamaha that he can't really get on with and looking what Aleish and now Maverick is doing as well. You obviously being Dovi, you probably do look at that and think, Ah, I do do regret that, but easy thing to say. And to um, be fair to Dovi, who would have ex- would have expected Aprilia yeah, to come again this, this year thing, with yeah. another level, another step yeah. and be uh, close to the best bike in the paddock, you know. No, I don't think anyone would have believed that. So, and they've done it. We've had a we've had another one. Um, it's about KTM letting Oliveira go. It says, "Do you think KTM made a mistake by letting Oliveira go?" I think it's it's interesting because I think KTM wanted to keep Oliveira, um, Me too. but ultimately they didn't want. Not necessarily want him, but they just couldn't come to agreement in the factory team. Or I think they had a di- bit of a different idea from what Godotti was saying. They wanted someone to develop the bike who's been on different bikes with a bit more experience. Um, so, yeah, what what do you make of Oliveira leaving KTM? Well, I think they... This is not from speaking to someone. Uh, have your screen gone a bit funny or is it just mine? <laughs> I think yours is going to be okay. funny. I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, ah, believe it or not, it's a bug, a bug on the <laughs> camera. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, about the, I got fully sidetracked there. Uh, <laughs> what were we just talking about? 
I'm Oliveira. so tired, buddy. Forgive me. Oliveira. <laughs> Oliveira. How could I forget? Hey, so Oliveira, like I said, KTM know how good he is, just like I do, you know. And uh, he is more sensitive, and they need someone to force it like Brad can. Uh, that's my take on it. I think they fully wanted to keep him. Uh, to get someone like Jack, you've got to offer Jack the factory bike, don't you? And so I believe what happened when you look at everything as it happened is they were like fully um, planning to keep Miguel, but you've already got Miguel. Miguel, please, so we can, uh, well, basically, please can you take the Tech 3 ride and we'll give you the same support and the engineers and money or whatever, the same, but can you move to Tech 3? then they could offer Jack a factory ride, which is a, a bunch more bait on your hook to catch a good rider, you know. Uh, if you offer Jack the Tech 3 bike, he might go, uh, he's bound to have gone, uh, really, you know. Um, it's nothing against Tech 3. It's just riders want the factory bike with the factory engineers and to be able to influence direction on, on uh, development, everything, you know. And it's about ego, you know. Um, so... Then, because it's about ego, imagine Miguel's reaction to, we're going to move me to Tech 3, you know? I'm not going to be in the factory anymore. Uh, that, uh, I imagine that was the beginning of the end, you know? <laughs> uh, even though I bet KTM didn't it like that. They'd promise all the same, and they wanted both, you know, all three of those guys, and then a rookie. But, yeah, and... Uh, it looks like, um, yeah, Miguel, I reckon Miguel will, uh, the whispers are is on the RNF. So if that happens, he's going to be dangerous. That's how I say it. And KTM didn't want to lose him. So, yeah, that's that. Yeah, it's, it should be interesting. Like you say, those are the whispers. So we'll have to see. I guess we're going to have a few announcements over the summer break as there's so many pieces now falling into place or looking like they're on the way to falling into place. Um, so the final controversial matter that we've been asked about in the chat, and we will ask you because obviously it's happened. It's a fact. It's a reality. Long lap penalty for the Monster Energy British Grand Prix for Mr. Fabio Quattararo. Obviously, there's no denying he made a mistake and he crashed. Uh, he also took a leash, if not down, then certainly out for a little while with him. Um, what do you think about it? Obviously, in our position, we're not going to rant one way or the other, but it's such a massive thing. It seems to have really lit up a lot of people with super, super strong opinions over what's kind of, I don't know, it, it's, is it that big a deal? What do you think about the, the situation? Okay. Um, you know, because I'm lucky enough to hear regularly, you know, Fran, about the background of the race direction decisions. Uh, for years, I've, I've really agreed with majority of the stuff they've done, you know. Um, okay, about the going on the green, I wish it could be easy, you know. Uh, I wish it was like before, meaning if you're still touching the curb and you're mostly on the green, you know, but I think they've, up, you know, first of all, got some grief the race direction uh, popularity because of the uh, those just touching the green and then um, spoiling a race. You know what I mean? 
but if their mentality i'm pretty sure is that you've got to treat it like grass if you're on it you're going to lose some time so we need to put you behind that rider you stayed in front of because you were on the grass you know and that is the the way it it is you know and should be but i i would rather that they could get on a little bit more you know <laughs> like like you could get away with on grass you know cutting some anyway it used to be if you were touching you were in now if you're touching at all the green you're out you know and uh, anyway that's one thing then um the big one for me was tucker because tucker had been pretty naughty on some early laps and races before i was already going by by le mans i was at the end of my tether with tucker when he pushed fabio off the track on the end of the first lap at le mans and i'm like I know what it's like. Riders who could fight for the win hate being pushed off the track in the early laps by riders who will be nowhere near them at the end of the race. That's not, it's not on, you know, it's not right. So I was fuming at Tucker for pushing. Fabio did a good pass on Tucker coming through because it's not a very good start. And then the next corner go, Tucker goes and pushes them off the track. And I'm like, I would, that stage would have gone, Tucker, no more, no more of that. You know, I know you're fighting for your ride, but no more of that. Otherwise, penalty, you know. And then Magello, he goes and has that one with Rins, which Rins is quite famous for being the cleanest overtaker in the paddock. All the riders say he's clean, straight. And uh, he gave Tucker some room there, and then they had that big coming together and down the road. So at that stage, you can't – it was pretty hard to penalise just on that because it was not clear, obvious, that it was either Ryder's fault. And I can understand that. But I would have told Tucker, the guillotine, man, it's about to fall. <laughs> Any more of that, and you're you're in trouble. Which may have stopped the Turn 1 accident at Barcelona, which would have been a really good result, not having it, you know. And still the guillotine's hanging there, Tucker, no more, you know. <laughs> And then, and even if it did happen, if it did happen, for me, he wouldn't have been riding Germany because that's, I've warned you, warned you, and now you've done a biggie, you know. Um, so, and when I say biggie, yeah, I understand that he got a magic start and I understand that he got a draft from uh, Peko that helped cause it, but everyone else manages it, you know. If you don't manage it, you crash, you know. So, Tucker, you got to manage that. You got to think that if you get a really good start, oh, you might have to break a bit early. You know, it's normal. So, he wouldn't have been riding Germany, and uh, if he'd not been riding Germany, then there would have been a precedent, and it wouldn't have stood out as much. Now that you've also said, Fabio, you know you're getting a long lap penalty. You know what I'm saying? I think it was just that there was such a big missing bit, missing penalty for Tucker, and now there's a penalty for Fabio. I think that is the problem. Oh, that's from my point of view. You don't have to agree. But the last one, I've got to throw in there because I love Jack, you know? I love what he brings to the paddock. I'm so happy that he's riding like we know Jack can with this new setup bike and maybe his style change whatever it is oh great i'm really happy to see him back and it's why i was so disappointed to see jack not take it on the chin like a man that his penalty because that was dangerous 
you know? And I understand he had a missing foot big and he'd just fallen off. And But the whole idea of rules and penalty is not to get in the way of somebody on a, in qualifying, the end of qualifying, which he did. That's a penalty to start with. And then it was so dangerous. That could have ended one or both of their careers, that 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 speed difference there when Maverick had to swerve around. So I don't understand why Jack didn't take that one on the chin. That's my take, and I don't mind that Jack sees this. It's how I see it. And anyway, I've probably stirred enough uh, trouble. I hope, you, uh, <laughs> I hope the answer was useful. <laughs> we'll leave Simon on the record with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, okay, we will. Uh, but I did, I love Jack, I do. I think, do, don't yeah. worry, I think we all love all of them, uh, including, you know, the people that we work with behind the scenes who are trying to make the best decision they can all of the time. Um, and, you know, from FIM and GP Stewards, Race Direction, Dorna, everyone who's doing a Northern Talent Cup interview after a race to, you know, the very top of everyone. Everyone wants to make the sport the best it can be. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll sit and obviously you, Simon, make it very great. Uh, but we'll let you go now because we've took a real <laughs> chunk of your time today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us as, uh, as last time. And, yeah, great insight. Uh, no, you're welcome. I, I enjoy chatting to you, so, you too. And I hope the listeners got something out of it and uh i'm going to spend a couple of days recovering from the <laughs> big old trip and all those races and uh take the little family away uh, yeah and everyone hope you all you guys have a good break as well cheers i appreciate it yeah we will try our very best thank you very much and uh ciao for now simon bye for now cheers mate so we did have uh, the poll running as well in the Twitch chat for those of you who've joined us live, uh, which was who's impressed you the most so far this season? Overwhelmingly, uh, <laughs> Alicia Spargaro won that vote. So let us know if you agree with that, if you're listening on delay with the hashtag MotoGP podcast, see what you think of the season so far. Who would you go for, Elliot, before we go? Who's impressed I you think, the most? I think it's got to be Alicia, hasn't it? Obviously, Fabio's been super, super impressive, riding the best he ever has. Um, and it obviously heightens it because Franco, like we said, and Andrea can't extract that out of the Yamaha. But, yeah, you've got to go Aleish with where Aprilia have come from, where Aleish has come from. I mean, his ride in Assen was just pff, unbelievable. Shades of Marc Marquez in her F2020 before... Uh, that famous crash. So, yeah, I think it's it's got to be Aleish, closely followed by Fabio, because apart from the Assen mistake, he's been flawless, hasn't he, all year? But Aleish, yeah, yeah. Aleish is deserved of the um, Pole World Championship, the Pole World Championship, let's say. <laughs> Not his brother. Uh, yeah, and for those <laughs> of you who don't know, although I'm sure you do, if you've gone deep enough into the content that you're listening to us at the end of this episode, uh, the second crash wasn't just a mistake. It was from the, I think, traction control mm. sensor uh, had broken. So he, he didn't make two massive mistakes on one day. Um, it was the same, who was that? Danny Pedrosa, right? At Aragon, got touched by Mark, I think, at turn one, and then next time on the gas boop. so yeah unfortunate for Fabio that but obviously big relief when he got up that he's perfectly fine <laughs> after that crash yeah. um but yeah definitely the t- I can't really argue with what you've said Brad Binder's a big shout for me in super impressive performances this year but I think as well impressive 
it's something where it's like, well, Fabi is the reigning champion. You're going to expect some real excellence from him. Um, yeah. And Brad Binder won his, what, third race? I always get this wrong because I, I remember I made a mistake once in a text about it as well, and I've never been able to get it out of my head. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like we've seen incredible stuff very early on from those guys. Alicia Spargaro, though, from last year was already really impressive. Got that podium, you know, great. This season, though, wow. And that to sign mm. off and summer break with that double overtakes, like, fair enough. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we'll sign off on that note as well. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts and opinions. Uh, yeah, like we said with the hashtag. And happy summer break to you all. Ciao for now. <laughs>